Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. All right, we are here with the Blue Gold Report podcast, and it is a doozy. It is, of course, the college football playoff semifinal edition of the show. And as always, wherever you found this Blue Gold Report podcast, uh, it is brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And, of course, if you've downloaded the podcast, make sure you rate and review us and subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. And even after this season ends, which we hope won't be this weekend, um, of course, we go 365, uh, 24-7, all the time 52 weeks or at least we try to the blue gold report does not stop in other words when the football season ends my name's mike rags one of your co-hosts we'll be happy to bring in our blue gold illustrated writer uh and co-host of mine for well quite some time now and of course uh not quite the notre dame homer that i might be i don't know todd are you a notre dame homer nah, i try to keep it real I try to keep it flat line <laughs> it's, it's it's all facts baby it's todd burlage todd uh here we go we waited for it 12 and 0 uh against uh, Oklahoma. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking towards next week. Uh, Clemson. They got to play Clemson <laughs> first. And there's a lot going on. Obviously, You're, they're catching some breaks uh, with the uh, drug suspensions of a couple players, including a, an All American. We'll get to that in a bit. And uh, we've got a lot to break down for this game, and not a lot of time to do it because Phil Houck and uh, Tim Priester are on after us. Fighting Irish preview. If you're listening on Whoa Whoa 1190, I'm sorry. If you're listening on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. All right, Todd. Uh, we start every show like always with the blue gold nuggets and i know you've got some good ones what do you got yeah all football we're going to pretty much keep this show all football usual three pack when it comes to injuries you talk about getting breaks when it comes to the injury front for notre dame they look outstanding and also no no academic issues when it came to finals week no when they were out of town arrest or anything so the team looks to be in good standing as a matter of fact, a little bit of good news. Uh, backup defensive tackle Myron Tagiviola Amosa. That's Jerry Tillery's backup. Uh, fine player. He will be available. He broke his foot against Michigan in week one. Uh, he's been rehabbing after surgery. He's back. Should should see him. Uh, you'll obviously probably not in a heavy dose, but um, certainly he's a talented player, and he will be on the field some um, against Clemson. One other injury note, again, not much here. Sophomore backup offensive guard, Dylan Gibbons. Uh, he fractured his foot during prep, uh, during bowl prep practices, so he had surgery. He won't play. He wasn't going to play anyways, so not a big loss there. Read this story uh, in the South Bend Tribune. I thought I'd share it. It was pretty interesting. It was, an, it was a note. It was kind of a story that Drew Tranquil shared about during the offseason, some of the things that they did. And Matt Ballas, we all know what a great job he's done as an Notre Dame strength coach. He spiced one of his practices up on the very, very early morning hours, one July, uh, one July morning, and he made the guys run every step inside Notre Dame Stadium. <laughs> uh, it took hours. It was what? a very long project. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Tranquil said at first, they were like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But he said it became kind of a bonding experience. As a matter of fact, the sun rose over the stadium while they were performing this exercise. He said it really helped unify the team, and he think it's, thinks it's a big part of the reason why they were able to finish games stronger this year and have a great November. So just, just a little nugget there inside of a nugget. And finally, as expected, no big surprises here. It leaked out that Brandon Wimbush, Notre Dame senior quarterback, will transfer and take his grad, grad year, his final year of eligibility somewhere else. 
I don't think the, the Irish coaches appreciated this leaking out. I'm not sure it was Brandon Wimbush's fault. Uh, but anyhow, the news is out there. They all danced around it. Uh, Wimbush was made available to the media. He's basically said no comment. I'm worried about Clemson. The coaches said no comment. We're worried about Clemson. But certainly we kind of knew this was on the horizon. Uh, so essentially, unless he plays in one of the next two games for Notre Dame, he will finish his career with 2,606 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, added another 1,115 yards on the ground with 16 rushing TDs. Those are your blue gold nuggets, Rags. Well, we know he's not going to Michigan because Shea Patterson's coming back. And the, the weird thing is is that he's actually probably going to play some here, Todd, in this game. Uh, they're, they'll probably use him on a couple of plays, wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good possibility, actually. I mean, it's probably going to depend a little bit on how the game plays out and what Clemson's doing defensively if Notre Dame's struggling some areas offensively. But, yeah, I would not be too surprised to see Brandon Wimbush plug in there uh, here and there. I don't know, will it be quarterback? Will it be running back? We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Rags. I think he probably will get a handful of snaps. All right, Todd, and we've got a lot to talk about And when we talk about the Cotton Bowl here. Uh, I'm sorry, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. we got to throw the sponsor in there. Uh <laughs> One thing I know, and, and we'll make our bold predictions at the end, and and uh, them as an underdog, I'm not surprised. Them as nearly a two-touchdown underdog, I'm very surprised. And if I was a betting man, which I am, i take the points here, Todd. I've seen some at around 12.5 points. A, a little surprised. Yes, underdog. How much of an underdog? That surprises me. Yeah, when we get to this, I want to do uh, this, this segment on Clemson before we get into like the statistics and the disrespect type of thing. I totally agree with you. But I, I thought it was really important to address this Dexter Lawrence suspension rags um, because it, he's such an impactful player uh, for the Tigers. You know, these guys have four legitimate first-round NFL draft picks along that front four, and this guy is the standout among all of them. Six foot four, three hundred fifty pounds. Yeah. Now, I found something statistical that I think speaks to his importance, and these are a little bit, you know, metrics that are kind of off the beaten path, shall we say? Um, this one's pretty straightforward. In the plays that Dexter Lawrence has been on the field this year, opponents are averaging only 1.7 yards per rush. In the plays that he's been on the sideline, opponents are averaging 3.0 yards per rush. So a big difference there. Um, The other one that kind of uh, jumped out at me, too, is quarterbacks. When Lawrence has been on the field, the bad throw percentage is at 22% for opposing quarterbacks. With him on the sideline, it's only 14%. So you can see just in a couple little statistical analysis right there what a difference maker this guy really is and, and how he probably will will definitely be missed for Clemson. No doubt. And I know I've been, uh, I saw his press conference yesterday. He's basically an extra coach they have now, too, for these practices leading up to it. So he's there at the practice. He's, he's actually says he's got a whistle. So he's trying to keep them pumped up. So he is a very much a part of of uh, the scheme and, and what this defense is going to bring to the table. Yeah, for sure. And, and Dabo sticking by his guys. Obviously, there are two other players, lesser-used players that were suspended for this. It's, a, it's called Osterine. It's some sort of muscle growth substance. Kind of a, it's, it's a great mystery down there in Clemson. And, and it, you know people are saying you could pick it up in energy drinks, hair gel. It was just a trace. But here's Dabo Sweeney talking about Clemson's head coach, talking about he's still standing by his players. These are three great young men that I believe in and that I know uh, without a doubt have not intentionally done anything to jeopardize their opportunity or or this team. And I I, want to make that real clear. The letter that came from the NCAA said that these three young men had a 
a, a slither, a, 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 a trace uh, of some substance called osterine, a, 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 a slither, a trace, a, a fraction, all right? This particular substance can come from anything. And uh, these three players have no clue. In fact, they thought it was a, a joke when I called them. Uh, they have no clue how this has gotten in their system. It could come from hair products. It could come from a cream. It could come from protein. It could come from a product that you order or buy online that you think is nothing wrong with it. It could be, it could be anything. Literally, it could, it could be a drink, something in a drink. It literally could be anything, as I have come to learn. And, in fact, I think there's been, uh, I think, 40 or so athletes over the past year or so that have had to deal with the same exact thing. And several have later come back to, to be vindicated. They had no idea. And then they found out where it came from. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to feel about this, uh, Todd. He's, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, a trace is a trace is a trace. It's not the only school this a, happens to. So A slither. Not I, a I'm slither. sorry, a slither. A slither. A slither is a slither is a slither. Um, but again, I'm, I'm sure if it happened to one of the Notre Dame players, I might be on a rooftop yelling somewhere. Yeah, you know what? But let's not feel too sorry for Clemson because the guy they're going to plug in here, uh, senior Albert Huggins, Six foot three, three hundred fifteen pounds. Swinney actually called him a co-starter. He plays at least twenty plays a game. Um, so it's uh, obviously you're going to lose something with Lawrence not being in there. But the, the drop off isn't dramatic. All right. So um, and and you wanted to talk about this here. Now let's look at these teams side by side, one on one. Looking at the stats here, it's going to be a fast track. Obviously, weather's not going to come to play. They're indoors at the Jerry uh, World. Uh, it's a it's a great place for offenses to play really well. Can right. their defense stand up and hold Clemson's defense uh, offense uh, to to an attainable amount of points that the Notre Dame offense can do? Let's take a look at this, you know, statistically here, Todd. Uh, where where where, if at all, do we hold some edges? Um, it's hard to find any rags, and I was surprised as I started to break this down. I mean, you look at Clemson, number four in the country in total offense, uh, number four in the country in scoring offense. And then number four in the country in total defense and three in rushing defense and number two in scoring defense. So they're top five in each of those categories. And I, I that's very impressive stuff. That's typically company the only company uh, that's sort of reserved for Alabama. Uh, they're t- usually top five in both of those. Meanwhile, Notre Dame floats around the 30 mark in almost every statistical category. I suppose one perhaps slight advantage is turnover margin. Not a huge one. Notre Dame ranks number 32 at point at plus 4.42. And then uh, Clemson down a little bit, number 43, at a plus point three. So not much really discussed there. I kind of wanted to go to common opponents. I thought maybe that was something we could, we could pull a little more uh, comparative work here. The common opponents were Wake Forest, Florida State, Syracuse, and Pitt. Both teams blew out Wake Forest and Florida State. Clemson did a little bit more of a number on uh, Wake Forest than what Notre Dame did. Syracuse, Clemson struggled with. Uh, beat them 27-23. It was really Clemson's only scare all season. Meanwhile, Notre Dame did up Syracuse 36-3. to um, Pittsburgh, there's another one. Clemson gets the advantage here. Beat Pitt 42-10. to And that was Notre Dame's honoriest game of the year, in my opinion. Uh, Notre Dame only beat Pitt 19-14. to 
So basically what it amounts to is Notre Dame outscored those four opponents 42-14 to 14 on average. 42-14 is your average final score, uh, plus 28 margin there. Clemson outscored those four opponents 48-12 to 12, um, on average uh, for a plus 36. So I think when you look at it from that standpoint, it probably is why Notre Dame is getting disrespected because from purely a number standpoint, Clemson certainly holds the advantage. They even had uh, very similar situations on their offense, too, as far as replacing uh, the quarterback. Uh, right. Now, they did it because of injury, and it turned out to be you know a real pleasant surprise for them, and it worked out well. Uh, and you might even say it worked out better for them than it did for Notre Dame, too, because they basically dominated once, uh, once uh, Trevor Lawrence came in to start playing. Yeah, and I think you could say the same thing about Notre Dame. As a matter of fact, Ian Book holds a slight advantage when we talk about passing efficiency, passing yards per game, um, and, of course, completion percentage. Book actually wins all those categories against uh, Lawrence. Now, Todd, the, the one thing is with the, with this situation, it doesn't happen a lot, but Notre Dame, as a heavy underdog, uh, that's motivation. These these kids can get you know put it up on the locker room wall and say, hey, you know what? Nobody respects us, so let's roll. Well, you would have thought so, but uh, in all honesty, even leading up to before they left campus for Dallas, um, they weren't paying any attention to it. Now, that's what they're saying publicly, and actually, here's Brian Kelly kind of going to your question, Regs. I think every team other than maybe you know Alabama and, and, quite frankly, Clemson, who's been here four times, everybody's going to get picked at a little bit, but... You know, we think our schedule, you know, has always been set up to play the very best. And, you know, we won every game we played. So, you know, I think it's natural that there's always going to be a little bit of chatter. But I I don't think we ever felt that there was disrespect. We've got to go out and win, you know, (laughs) in these big games, certainly, you know, because we're still being compared to what happened in 2012, fair or unfair. We need need to set, you know, a a new... um, kind of parameter there but no i i don't think our guys they've heard enough of it they're they're ready to play well todd i i don't know if he's just blowing smoke here uh or if that's true uh it would piss me off i know that and i i I would put that up on the wall maybe he's doing it behind the scenes but there's got no reason to lie either maybe it is what it is yeah i mean there's a certain leadership to this team i think it starts with drew tranquil it reminds me of 2012 very much. Very little, actually, when I compare 18 versus 12, those two teams. I don't find many similarities as far as on-field stuff. But what I do find is the strong leadership. That is certainly a common thread between these two teams. And I think guys like Tranquil and Sam Mustafer will hear, we'll hear from, from him, and we'll hear about Tranquil, and we'll hear from Mustafer down the line a little bit. Um those guys have such a calmness to them, and they become such a calming influence that I just don't feel like, I think what they say, the guys follow. They worry about themselves. They don't worry about what the media is saying. They don't worry about what Vegas is saying. They don't pay any attention to that. And I think, again, that's the same sort of feel I had. I'm trying to, I, I, I want to compare Drew Tranquil to Manti Teo in terms of leadership importance. Now, certainly, Tranquil won't be as decorated as Teo was, won't have the numbers, but I mean, seriously, when you still look at Tranquil's numbers, Third on the team in total tackles with 75, nine for loss, three and a half sacks. But the leadership that he brings and his evolution as a player are very notable. And, and, he, and he's been asked, Brian Kelly's been asked a lot about Drew Tranquil. And I love this clip. That's why I had to plug it in here. He's everything that you want in this business relative to coaching. You know, just um, 
a mentor to our players, uh, a great leader, somebody that overcame uh, adversity through his career here, and, and a great representative of our university as a great student. So, and, and sometimes it's almost where he had to really grow is that he wasn't believable in a sense, almost. Uh, you know, here's a 4.0 student. Guys couldn't identify with him because he was this guy that they just couldn't live up to. I mean, but this year he just became so much more of a mentor to our other players. Somebody asked the question, when did you know that you were going to have a special team? I knew we were going to have a special team when Drew Tranquil was able to reach everybody in our locker room. Because when you have a guy like that that can reach every player, he's going to impact them all. One of the traits that he had self-discovery was that he had a hard time relating to some people based upon what his his strengths were you know he's very spiritual he's he's driven and sometimes that didn't exactly connect with people and so when he saw that those were some of his traits he went to work on those and uh, so through January February in our off season he went to work on those things and you could see how that was kind of taking shape it's weird because I see the comparison to Teal but it's almost he blends into the defense a lot more for me than Teo just stood out more. I don't know why. Maybe it was because yeah, he was yeah. getting maybe because he was getting the accolades, he was getting all the attention, he was getting the headlines. Tranquil doesn't obviously get the same amount of attention, but he seems to have the same results as Teo does, and that is team leader. I, it, it's just different, but somehow the same. Yeah, I think the big part of it is you know if you take the linebacking unit as a whole, I think this year's is much better. Tao, it was kind of all on his shoulders from True. that position. You, you know, that's not really the case here when you have a Tavon Coney, you know, sit, standing next to you with, with 100 and some tackles. So I think that has something to do with it, Rags. But I have to admit, covering this team for 20 years, Drew Tranquil probably has become my favorite player. He's just so sharp, uh, bright kid. You know, he's got married. I don't know. I, have we talked about him? His wife is now due. He's he's even going to have a baby. So the guy does it all. The, yeah, exactly. He really does. So a lot going on for the Tranquil family, that's for sure. And remember, been asked to change his position pretty much every year too. Right. You know, so he's obviously a very intelligent player. I am very intrigued to see how high he goes. Of course, obviously, barring God forbid any injury or anything like that, but seeing how high he goes and if he's in that Jalen Smith kind of area. I know. By the way, did you see that fumble recovery and return? for a touchdown by Jalen Smith last weekend. He's back. He is certainly back, and so is his brother. He's running right next to him down the sideline. Yeah, pretty neat. It's pretty pretty cool. And, uh, you know, back to this team, you look on the offensive side of things, and there's kind of a Drew Tranquil on that side, too. Very much so, because when Notre Dame lost Alex Bars, I think everybody, uh, there were a lot of people on from the outside looking in said, that's it. You know, it it was a decent line, but you lost two first-round draft picks. I mean, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. So this is it. Alex Bars was kind of the rock of this. All of that leadership and just kind of the quarterbacking of that line fell on Sam Mustafer, and he handled it tremendously in trying to move these guys that didn't have a lot of experience along. And, you know, this is this line is one, was one of the finalists for that uh, Joe Moore Award as one of the best, as the best line in the country. Um, I had a chance to sit down with Mustafer, and we kind of touched on a lot of these topics that Rags and I already have. It was an exclusive interview I was able to land with him. We talked about everything from the evolution of this team, his place as a leader, and we revisited that disrespect card, and, and here's that interview. 
So when you kind of watch the news or read or whatever, it's like, oh, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma. Oh, that's right, Notre Dame's in this thing, too. Yeah. Do you guys pay any attention to that sort of stuff? Uh, not me personally, no. Um, I'm sure there's guys on the team who, like, look at it or use that fuel or motivation. I mean, but I would say majority of the team, it, it really doesn't matter to us, um, which is good. And it's not just lip service because I, I really don't think guys really care that much. Um, we understand that what we've been doing this year has worked, so why deviate from it? Drew was talking about how one of the goals, a couple of the goals, were to play better in November mm -hmm. and finish games stronger. He yeah. has accomplished both of those things. What went into that? Uh, just an emphasis from our coaching staff and off-season training. Everything was to finish, not and it would not to the line, through the line kind of mentality. And I think that's something this team is taking hold of, and we understand that. That you know, if you want to be great, it's going to be difficult. But we've embraced the difficulty. Did you feel like that was definitely a couple areas that you did need to improve? I mean, was that a, a focus for you guys? I mean, absolutely. Last year we went into November, we were riding high, feeling good, and it was a rough November for us. Uh, two losses, an absolute dominant performance by Miami when we were down there. So I think it's something we understood and we knew we had to improve on it and we had the facts to back it up. I like this team because it, it always sounds cliche, the old one game at a time. I don't think I've ever seen a team really apply that like you guys. Yeah, that's the difficulty in it, you know, I, because I feel like that's last year where we got tripped up, is that we looked too far ahead. We were looking at, you know, the college football playoff rankings. We were wondering where we were, what was going to happen after, what, instead of just focusing on going out here today and getting better. And, like, I always say, you either get better or you get worse, and that's something, like, I, I live by. So when we go out there, we got to get better. Like, because if we try to stay the same, we're going to get worse. And this team, like like you said, and you've been around it longer than I have, uh, you, you understand, you know, one day at a time is hard. It's yeah. hard to go out there and go through the monotonous practice every day. But this team embraces it. And, you know, if we're going to be out there, we might as well get better. And I think they love getting better, and that's, that's difficult. <laughs> Does that come from guys like you, a team leadership thing that kind of trickles down to maybe the younger guys? I think it... It has a lot to do with leadership, but it also has a lot to do with the ability of this team to to play its role and understand its role. Like, there's no guy that tries to stand out and be a superstar. Everybody just kind of wants to buy into the process and be involved in what we're doing this year, and it's special. Was that a gradual process to get to that? Oh, absolutely, because you got to get guys who buy in, you know. And at first, everybody's like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, this word process, what, like, what does that even mean? Right. But now it's become something like, we hang our hat on. Like, we have a process, we trust it, we stick to it, and it's paid dividends. And guys, once you see it, like, paying off, once you understand, and I feel like that's why, you know, winning your first game is important because guys are like, oh, you know, the process does work, yeah. and, and we've stuck to it thus far. It just kind of gets rolling and builds on itself. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a snowball effect, and you know, guys who are, may have been like on the fence are like, "Oh, yeah, I'm definitely buying into this because it works." And I think Coach Kelly's been a, built a sustainable model for this team. Last one for me. You know, you, you heard the word process all the way through this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Coach Kelly's got this team bought into that, and you know, I think it's something he can build a model for the rest of his time at Notre Dame and beyond. Really. Because he, he understands, you know, at a place like this, it's difficult to win week in and week out. And this season we've done that, and it's been special. That's great stuff, uh, Todd. And I got to tell you, I'm really impressed, not just this week, but all year long, the business-like approach most of these yeah. players have taken. Uh, it's just get the job done. I don't care how you do it, and I'm not. there's not going to be a lot of fanfare about it. 
Well, it kind of goes to one of your points, Rags, when he's saying there's no one standout player. There is no Manti Teo out here, you know, Heisman finalist. It is everybody doing their role. And again, it sounds so cliche, but I, I've never, I don't know that, I can, can't really remember being around a group that really applied that week in, week out. Sometimes from a, a media standpoint, it became a little bit boring because you heard a lot of the same answers. You know, we're just, okay, we're done with that. We're moving on to next week. Process this, process that. But it worked. Uh, it worked, and the guy stuck to it. And this is, the, and they're reaping their rewards now. All right, Todd. So let's uh, look at the keys here and predict this game. It, uh, it I tell you, I, 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 I like this team a lot better in 2012. Just in the standpoint of they, I think they can go more toe to toe offensively uh, with current state of affairs in college football than 2012 could they did a with well, a lot of mirrors a right. lot of a lot of uh you know a lot on defense and not much on offense and they had a backup quarterback carry them most of the way it's going to be different now ian book williams these guys can score they've got a good core of receivers here I think they're going to be able to put up some points here todd it's just a question is can they control uh the offense of clemson yeah, I, I'm gonna. To me, it, it's twofold. Um, if, if offensively, Notre Dame's going to have to find a way to at least slow down that defensive line of Clemson. They're going to have to do it. Eat some, by some quick, quick passes. I almost think it's more about Ian Book getting the ball out of there quickly. Don't give him a chance to, to right. knock him down. I think that's going to be key, and you, you have the big receivers to make that happen. Now, you can't just be fully run uh, pass reliant either. You have to find a way to get Dexter Williams. Moving in there, even if he's only picking up two and a half yards per carry, you have to keep a balance. You have to keep that offensive line from getting dug in. Um, so I think offensively, that's the key. I think defensively, if they can do some gimmicky things or whatever it takes to get into Trevor, Trevor, um, um, all these Williams and all these uh, Lawrence, <laughs> the freshman quarterback for Clemson. Sorry about that. I was so worried about calling Dexter Lawrence Dexter Williams that I, that I forgot uh, Trevor's last name. Trevor Lawrence, the freshman quarterback. Obviously, it's going to be key for Notre Dame to get some pressure on him, get him a little bit rattled, and I think, to me, those are those two keys. I don't know that Notre Dame's going to be able to pull it off fully. I think it's a good ball game, but I still think the Ben there done that factor for Clemson gets the Tigers a 34-24 win over Notre Dame. I think last second field goal, I see 38-37 Notre Dame. I'm going to be the homer this time, uh, Todd, not you. Uh, you always are. I, <laughs> that's a very good point. Uh, I think I'm fair and balanced uh, for the most part. Um yeah, I like them winning this game. I don't know why, and then we'll see what happens. Who do you like in the other game? Is is, is Oklahoma gonna gonna be able to to tame Alabama at all here, or, or is this gonna be a runaway? Uh, I I I like Alabama here big time. I don't think it's necessarily gonna be a huge route, but I can I don't I don't think it's gonna be much high drama. Let's put it that way. Probably a fourteen point Alabama win. We're just about out of time. Before we step out of here, is there anything on hoops or hockey you want to touch on before we go? Just a little bit. I know we're running a little bit tight. Uh, the women's hoops had one game since last we talked. Uh, they beat number 19 Marquette. Obviously, Notre Dame ranked number two at 11 and one. They actually trailed 18 17 after one quarter, then took things over. Arika A. Ogunbowale had 32 points, which tied her career high. Bree Turner, 20 points, eight boards. And Jess Shepard, 15 points, 18 rebounds. Uh, so Notre Dame will return to action Sunday, 1 p.m. against Lehigh. And then open ACC play next Thursday versus Pitt. That's a home game. That's a Priscilla Pavilion game. The men have been off since 1220. Probably good for them to kind of regroup. They're 9-3. and three. They return to action Saturday noon, Coppin State. Hockey, they return to action BC Monday, uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve. 
Uh, that's a game here at Purcell Pavilion. Then the NHL guys take over the stadium, the NFL football stadium, for the NHL Winter Classic, Chicago versus Boston. That's 1 p.m. Preparations are going on right now. And then Notre Dame plays an outside game. Let's take it outside against Michigan on the 5th. And tickets are available for both those events. It should be a lot of fun. And, of course, Notre Dame Stadium, big weekend, a big day ahead, New Year's Day. They're going to have that big hockey game and uh, NHL, Bruins, and Blackhawks. And one more thing about Erica Ogumbawale. She did come in third place for AP Women Athlete of the Year. Uh, you know, Serena Williams won it, but she did get some votes and came in third. So that's that's pretty high. Cool. That's pretty cool stuff. No doubt about it. All right, Todd, let's go Irish. Uh, D.O. McComb and Sons brings you the Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, podcast here. The Blue Gold Report, as always, brought to you by D.O. McCombs. Up next, the Fighting Irish preview with our good friend, uh, good friend uh, Phil Hauk and uh, Tim Priester. That's if you're listening on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. And if you're listening uh, via podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. Todd, we'll do it all over again next week. All right, my friend. Thanks, Rex. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.